and um, I mean that, and I see you smiling already. Um, really, this is kind of the second half of what we started, uh, well, two weeks ago now, but red flags of contemporary Christian music, and we're not going to be on music too much longer, maybe a couple more weeks, and then we're going to move into a, a new topic, and this is kind of all under that whole umbrella of what I believe and why, and we're talking about the influence of music, and boy, we've, we've been on this for a few months now. Um, talking about how music influences us, and, and, um, and we really kind of established the whole rock, you know, the whole rock music idea, why rock music is wrong, and honestly then, when it comes to the red flags of contemporary Christian music, I really believe that, that, that contemporary music represents one of the greatest dangers to the church in our generation. And, and I know it's not, you know, you can't say that across the board, every church that ever had, you know, that ever played a contemporary Christian music song is, you know, down the tubes and worthless and all of that kind of stuff. You can't say that, but it's at the very, very least, it's a slippery slope uh, that is often the first step in a church going completely downhill and completely away from the Word of God. Um, just to review what we talked about a couple weeks ago as far as the, the red flags of the contemporary Christian music, and honestly, the contemporary Christian movement, for that matter, is because, number one, it blurs the clear distinction that ought to divide the church from the world. And I'm not going to reteach or re-preach everything that we already talked about, but uh, if, if, you, if your sound is no different than what you would hear at a rock concert on a Friday night somewhere, then you're not separating from the world. Uh, if there's no difference between... Uh, you can't, you know, you have to sit there and listen for a while to be able to tell if, if this is a Christian song or not, does it have any Jesus lyrics in it or not, then there is no separation between the church and the world. Number two, because it has a tendency to produce stars instead of servants. And there are, uh, you know, they, they give away their awards, they do all these different kind of things for, you know, they don't, they don't have, uh, at least the last I've ever known, they've never given away a hymn writing award or a hymn writing Grammy or something like that for those who are writing hymns. Uh, it's because people who, who do that music do so, I think, as their primary purpose to honor the Lord and for that to be a help when it's sung in the service. Uh, contemporary Christian music has a tendency to produce stars instead of servants. Number three, has a tendency to convert the church service into a show, which is, again, what happens often in an attempt to try to draw a crowd. Uh, you have to have, you know, uh, flashier... Um, lights and, and uh, you know, all that other kind of stuff that goes along with it. Number four, because it has a tendency to produce in Christians an incorrect understanding and application of worship. Uh, when we come to church on Sundays, we're not there necessarily to worship God, although I believe God is, is pleased in the way that we're conducting the service and everything else. The whole point is for us to be edified and for us to be taught and, and discipled and everything else by the word of God. And then the fifth thing is because it has a tendency to produce user-friendly Christianity. Tell me what I need to do to get you to stay in my church. That's what user-friendly Christianity is all about. And we'll do whatever kind of music you want to hear. We'll do whatever kind of whatever you want as long as you'll stay. And what that ends up producing is you tell us what you want to hear and we'll do it. That's no backbone. I was talking, to, and I won't say who because it, it, it matters, but I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, you know what, we don't have any doctrines. We don't, we don't have any doctrines in our church. Then what are you preaching? What are you teaching? What are you standing for if you have no doctrines, right? And so, uh, and that's kind of that user-friendly idea. We just want you to come. We want you to stay. Tell us what you want to hear. And this, there's more than one church that I've heard uh, about that one uh, 
Well, uh, again, it's, it's, it's one of those ideas that they, you know, sending out surveys to the church. What do you believe? What do you want us to believe? What do you want to hear from the pulpit? That's what user-friendly Christianity and that, and that contemporary Christian movement really has a lot to do with that. So tonight, I want to give you a few more red flags that I see in relation to contemporary Christian music. And, um, well, I think we have five of them, but like I said, we're, we're actually going to go pretty quickly through these tonight. So number one, contemporary Christian music embraces the beat-heavy rhythms of rock and thus opens up Christians to the accompanying dangers. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because, uh, honestly, we've spent several weeks, we spent several weeks going, you know, earlier in this, in this series examining the dangers that accompany the rock beat, uh, why that rock beat is wrong. We talked extensively about the origins of rock music and how that came about in the first place and, and honestly, what the motive behind rock music is in the first place. And it, it really, you know, we talked about how, how it opens up the door in your mind to the occult. We talked about how, about how it, it, it uh, feeds the sexual appetites of the body. And so I'm not going to go back over that tonight. But the point here is that if I'm right about all those other things, and, and we had a lot of documentation, not just from you know, Christian books, but, but from people who are uh, well-known in the, in the rock music industry and the way that they've talked about it and the way that they very honestly are open about what they're trying to accomplish with rock music. And so if we're right about that, then it's a dangerous thing to transition church music from what has traditionally been a smooth-flowing type of sound to an aggressive, loud, beat-heavy, uh, rhythmic-oriented type of sound. And so contemporary Christian music embraces that beat-heavy rhythm of rock, and it opens up to the Christian to the accompanying everything else, all the dangers that come along with that. Number two, contemporary Christian music is driving American Christianity in a pragmatic marketing direction. Now, pragmatism is the end justifies the means. As long as we can get a large crowd, then it doesn't matter what we have to do to get that crowd there, we've won. We've accomplished what we're trying to do. And uh, that is a completely wrong idea, no matter what it is. If you're talking in, in, a, in a scriptural sense that the ends justify the means, then that's not true according to the Word of God. Who is our church designed to please? Obviously, the answer is God, right? Right. Uh, it says that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. So the aim of any church is not to please humanity, it's to please God. Uh, those leading every church should try to mold the, the church, the services, everything about the church in obedience to the precepts of the word of God, because that's exactly what Jesus did, right? John chapter 8 and verse 29, I do always those things that please him, right? Now, obviously, if you're coming to church, I want you to enjoy the service. I want you to, you know, to, to enjoy hearing the music. I want you to enjoy being a part of it and everything else. But you have to understand that, that the point of why we do it is not to make you happy, the point is that we want God to be pleased, and, and I pray that almost every service. I want God to be lifted up. I want God to be pleased by what we do in the service because it doesn't matter whether you're pleased by it or not. It matters, it matters whether God's pleased, and, and is there any joy in pleasing the people if God's not pleased, or is, any, is there any sorrow in displeasing people if God is pleased, right? And, and, and that's where we are the opposite of the ends justify the means, Right? Practically speaking, that means that, that my goal, my aim as a pastor is to lead our church to be scriptural and to be scripturally and spiritually obedient to the word of God as we possibly can be. 
My aim is not to have a big church. It's to have a Christ-like church. Do we want to grow? Absolutely we want to grow. That's why we're putting an emphasis on trying to bring people out here and everything else. But it's not growing just for the sake of being big. It's growing for the sake of being able to uh, influence more of this area for Christ because we are pleasing to Christ, right? Uh, healthy things are growing things, but our focus is not on growth. It's on health, right? It doesn't matter if you have a giant tree that's dead, right? But that's what a lot of, that's what a lot of American churches are today. They're giant trees, but they're dead. And so what, what good does it do to have a giant dead tree, right? I would much rather have a smaller tree that's healthy and thriving and growing than something that is, is huge and, and dead. Growth is, is just the byproduct of spiritual health. Contemporary American Christianity largely gets the, the cart of growth before the horse of obedience. You've heard that before, you know, putting the cart before the horse. And that's exactly what happens, I think, a lot of times in American Christianity. Growth is, is the number one thing. And, and I'm, I, you know, I, I'm on a lot of um, email. I get a lot of emails from church growth organizations. And, you know, I, I read different articles and things like that. And, you know, I get sent articles in my email from different groups and things like that. And so much of it is about how you can grow. So much of it is, is not revolving around spirituality or holiness or any of those kind of things. It's all about, hey, here's a new strategy. Here's a new marketing idea that you can use to help your church grow. This is what you need. This is, and, and honestly, sometimes I think we get caught in that bubble a little bit too. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're getting ready to put out this app, and I think it's going to be a help to us. I think it'll be a help to us spiritually. But so many, you know, and, and even this, this uh, the, it's, a, it's a church-based company, and, and really, that's, that's all they cater to is churches. I don't even think they have any businesses that use their, their platform. It's all churches that use their platform. But they send me emails all the time about, here's another church growth strategy. Here's some things you can do to grow your church. Here's what you need to do to, to do all this kind of stuff. And I think sometimes, even in, even in independent fundamental Baptist churches, we end up falling into that trap of, how can I market the church better to get more people here? And again... Uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that to a certain extent because the more people come, the more people are going to hear the gospel, right? But we have to make sure that our focus does not become the ends and we'll do whatever we have to do to, 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 get, to, to justify the means, right? The ends do not justify the means. Uh, and, and that's what that pragmatic philosophy underlying all of that, uh, it, all of American Christianity, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of American Christian churches today uh, aims itself at the goal of attracting as many people as possible. And to do that, churches almost always have to embrace that marketing approach. Uh, research leads them to this desired demographic. This is the group of people we want to try to reach because research shows that they're the ones that are you know, coming to this type of church the most. And so they, that desired demographic, they study it out, you know, what they like, what they don't like, what they want in a church. And I'm, and I'm being dead serious when I say that they send out surveys. What do you want in a church? What are you looking for in a church? And it's not to pique their interest or whatever else. It's, we want to know what you want so that you'll come to this church, right? How is that standing for the truth? How is that standing on the word of God? How is that being grounded in, in, in spirituality and holiness? It's not. If you're telling us that, well, we want this kind of thing and we want that kind of thing, okay, we'll do it as long as you'll come. That's pragmatism. That's the end justifying the means. But the, you know, the, then what happens is these, the, the church staff, and I, and I get... Emails all the time inviting me to go to these different things. They go to these conferences and they, uh, they read books and, and, and they have 
calls with consultants and all of these other different things that you can do to teach the church how to give that target demographic exactly what they want so that they'll come. A church doesn't have customers. Now, if you're using, it, if you're using a, a business approach for a business, great. Go speak with a consultant. Go figure out what you can do to reach the demographic. Go, go figure out what you can do to reach the most customers. But the church is not a business. We're not trying to reach customers. The question that should be asked are not what do the people want and how can we give it to them. The question that should be asked is what does God want and how can we give it to him? That's what our goal ought to be. And you might be thinking, hang on, you know, the independent Baptist movement does that all the time. It promotes bigness, you know. You get a big church or a big name speaker and they start going around and, and preaching and, oh, they promote these, these people and these churches because they're big. And they do, they do do that all the time. And every time, it, it, every time they do it, it weakens itself. Because it's not about how big your church is. It's about how big your God is and how, how, how focused on spiritual growth your church is. I would much rather have 100 people that were focused on growing spiritually and were really growing spiritually than have 1,000 people who are completely shallow. Because in, in the end, 100 Christians that are sold out for God are going to do way more for the cause of Christ than 1,000 people who are not. And what's the point of church? Just, we just talked about it. But as bad as the independent Baptist movement is, it's exponentially worse in a lot of these contemporary evangelical Christian churches at least the independent Baptist movement has the breaks of putting an emphasis on preaching. Um, and I'm not saying that, that none of these other contemporary churches have an emphasis on preaching. I, I do think there are some out there, but it was pioneered by men like Bill Hybels and uh, Rick Warren and you know, these other guys whose, whose sole purpose was to get results and little else. And they've delivered on that. They got results and little else. They have a lot of people going to their churches, but, but here you have... You know, Rick Warren, who is, who is compromising and saying that, that uh, uh, the, the, not Hinduism, what's the other one? The Muslim God is the same God that we serve. We just look, we look at him by a different name. That's, what, that's where that leads. And contemporary Christian uh, music and contemporary, Christian, uh, contemporary American Christianity has been around long enough that we can see where it leads. And that's where it always goes. Now you, look at, you look at people like Joel Osteen and some of these other guys who have massive churches but are literally doing nothing for the cause of Christ. That's where that leads. As long as we can get them in, then we're happy. As long as we can get them in, then we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do to get them to stay in. And what that always means is you have to lower your standards. You have to drop what you believe. You, it's like I talked about this morning. It's, it's like taking the label of poison off of it and putting a label that you know, makes it sound like it's nice and easy to handle when in actuality it's more dangerous because now they think they're taking something that's helpful for them and it's actually something that's the exact opposite of that. And that's what, you know, even these churches around here, you go onto their websites and you watch some of their services and things and what you find out is that, you know, they're, they're preaching such a watered down version of the gospel that nobody can even get saved from it. And then you get a crowd of 15, 20, 30 people that come up at the end of the service and want to get baptized and, and, and claim the name of Jesus Christ, and they're not getting saved. But now they think they are. And so somebody who really has a burden for their soul comes along, and the next thing you know, you're asking them if they've ever accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they're looking back at that experience, and they say, yes, I've done that, and I've, you know, I've, I've, I've accepted Jesus Christ. And now, somebody who may have stopped and taken the time to give them the gospel says, man, that's tremendous. You're a Christian. Great. And now, 
they're never going to have an opportunity to get saved because now they're, they're focusing on something that's not even, it's not even salvation. But today's contemporary American church is not driven by a passionate pursuit of holiness and obedience and faith and the power of God uh, to reach people. The contemporary movement, I think, mostly is driven by polls and marketing and strategy and laws of attraction and business sense. Management, I, th I think most of these churches are studying management gurus more than they're studying the Bible. And honestly, that's, that's exactly backwards in the way that it should be. I'm not saying that there's not some benefit sometimes to studying, hey, what can we do to try to get some more people in our church? Um, but that ought not to be the focus, not even be close to the focus. Our focus ought to be on studying the Bible, making sure that our church is holy, making sure that our church is in obedience to the Word of God. And then if we can do some things on the back end to help get people in, then let's do it, right? Our job is to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. Our job is not to go out and try to fill our church up, right? And when our focus is on the right thing, then the, we don't have to worry about the ends justifying the means because it's the means that matter. So I think what's happened is uh, chasing obedience, letting God give the increase, um, making adherence to the scripture a goal has just gone out the window because it's all about what can we do to get more people in. Uh, and and what's, what's happened in, in, over that time is that American Christianity became overly enamored with church size and underwhelmed with scripture. They, it became underwhelmed with holiness, it became underwhelmed with obedience to Jesus Christ. And on the way, it birthed and grew that contemporary Christian music industry, and that's a problem. Number three, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a verse that I know you're familiar with, but number three, contemporary Christian music is increasingly financially driven. We've talked about this a little bit, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's become big business. Um, for example, and you can go look this up. I, I thought about maybe trying to show you a couple of these things, but just for the sake of time, you can go look them up. But you see concerts, contemporary Christian music concerts brought to you by Chevy. And, you know, Chevy took a, a lot of flack for that because, oh, you're, you're promoting a specific religion and everything else. And Chevy said, no, we, we promote rock concerts, we promote... Uh, you know, rap concerts and blues concerts and everything else, and this is just another extension of that. We just we want to promote some of this this music genre, right? When you have a, a group like that that's promoting that music, uh, it, this is funny. I uh, was very very involved in this whole funeral and everything, and um, you know, if, I mean, per space wise, as far as time, I was up there more than anybody else, and in. I've, I didn't necessarily go looking for it, but I just, you know, I wanted to see some of the follow-up and see what the reaction was to the message and whatever else. And I don't think in any article was I mentioned or in any article or in any video was my face in that video. And the reason why is because of what I talked about, right? Nobody wants to, they're not going to put a clip of me on there saying that if you want to go to heaven, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your savior, Right? Uh, they're not going to put that stuff out there. They, they quoted everybody else that spoke. They didn't quote me at all. You know why? Because I'm talking about stuff that they don't want to hear about, that they don't want to promote. Chevy's not going to sponsor our church. I can promise you that much, right? Why is that? Because that's not okay with the contemporary world today, right? Promoting Christianity and Jesus Christ as the only way is not something that sets well with these businesses because they know they're going to get flack from it, right? And I'm not complaining about that. The video is out there, and, and it's been viewed over 8,000 times. People can go watch that message, and they can hear the message of the gospel, plain and simple. But my point is, 
Why does Chevy feel comfortable uh, sponsoring contemporary Christian music concerts? It's because they don't feel threatened by it, right? They don't feel like they're going to lose customers. They feel like they're going to gain customers from it, right? Uh, they cross-promoted test drives with getting free worship CDs. I mean, that, that'll kind of tell you where that industry is at. But what you're seeing is these old-line religious nonprofit publishing firms and, and even new music firms being brought, bought out by these for-profit uh, publishing firms like Zondervan and Thomas Nelson and, and Word Music, Maranatha Music, and so on. Lots of these different publishing groups that are out there specifically to make money. And I'm not saying, obviously, there are, there are places that write hymns and produce hymns and things like that, and they charge for those things because, obviously, they're doing it for a living, so they have to make money. But it's not big business. It's, it's still uh, it's, it's there as a way to produce good, godly Christian music. They're not trying to get wealthy off of it, which is what most of these are doing today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verse number 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I realize that, that bills have to be paid. But when you shift from nonprofit to for-profit, a big line is crossed. And the dollar sign becomes the bottom line. The owners can adjust your direction based on money. You have to partner with unbelievers in quote-unquote ministry. Um, John chapter 2 and verse number 16, you don't have to turn over there, but it says this. And it said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. By the way, you don't find those problems in traditional church music environment, right? Um, we're not back there selling hymn books at a huge profit or selling worship CDs. And again, I'm not saying that, that, it's, that it's wrong for somebody to sell a CD. But the way that we do it here, if I sell anything in this church, I sell it ex to, for exactly what we paid for it. I'm not trying to make money off it. I'm trying to put good material in people's hands. And, you know, if somebody's going to make a dollar or two off of it to help pay for the person that had to take the time to order it and process it and all that kind of stuff, I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's, it's still just covering the cost of your, of your ministry and what's going on. We don't do it that way, but that's, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the church that does that. But what's happening is this has turned into something that is not, not just a way to get good music out there. It's, it's completely financially driven. I'm trying to get wealthy off of this. Same thing with these guys, you know, Joel Osteen and some of these other guys that write their books and make millions and millions and millions of dollars off of them. Um, it's, it's financially driven, and that has nothing to do with what we find in the Scripture. Number four, turn over to Proverbs chapter four. I said we're not going to be long. We're almost done. Proverbs chapter four and verse number 26. Contemporary Christian music is the first step on a slippery musical slope. Proverbs four twenty-six says this, ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Now, contemporary Christian music's self-justifications, which, by the way, we're going to talk about that next week, means that, that really CCM has no musical boundaries. Traditional music has fences. Um, there are boundaries that keep you from that slippery slope, but, but contemporary Christian music, by its very nature, you have to accept any musical style as long as the lyrics talk about God. How can you tell somebody that they can't rap about God? How, the same way that they couldn't tell you that you can't listen to a rock song about God. It really has no boundaries. You either have to accept all of it or none of it. 
Here's the last thing. Turn over to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Contemporary Christian music often means what I've heard referred to as Jimby music. I'll tell you what that is in a second. But Psalm 89, verse number 7 says this, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Now, that to me is a verse that talks about blasphemous things. And you hear stuff like that all the time in uh, con- the contemporary Christian church. And, and you know, what I'm, what I'm talking about is, you know, Todd White and... Um, I can't even think of some of these other guys' names off the top of my head, but these guys who, who you know, they get out there dressed in their ripped jeans and their, you know, their, their uh, tight T-shirts and their necklaces hanging around their necks and, you know, crazy hair or, you know, whatever else, any number of things that they do in these, these contemporary American churches. And the stuff that they say borders on blasphemous. And the way that they, I mean, just the way that they present themselves in their musical, you know, the way they're singing the music and everything else, and often, if you don't know a song was about Jesus, you wouldn't realize it. You'd think it was a typical love song. And that's what Jimby music is. Jesus is my boyfriend music, right? And if you stop and think about it, and again, I know that you know, we're not doing that music in our church, so you've probably not heard a lot of it, but I've heard lots of examples of these crossover songs. But the first two that came to mind when I was thinking about this was, you light up my life, right? You give me hope to carry on. That was written as a love song, and now that is sung in churches as if Jesus Christ is lighting up my life and giving me hope to carry on. Jesus is not my boyfriend, right? Same thing with uh, you raise me up. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. That was written as like a classical, you know, contemporary pop. I don't know what you'd call it. But now that song is being sung often in our churches. Jesus Christ, you raise me up so I can stand on mountains. It was written as a boyfriend song, right? And there's a lot of songs that, that make those crossover. They were intended and written as love songs, but depending on the, on the setting, you can make them about Jesus. They cross over into that spiritual realm. And that, that type of music transforms Jesus into, our boyf- into my boyfriend and, and our relationship into this romantic one versus a holy and a religious relationship, which is exactly what he's talking about there in Psalms. Uh, Psalm 89, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the, in, in the, assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of them that are about him. They essentially cheapen the love that Jesus Christ has for us by comparing the love for Jesus Christ or the love of Jesus Christ to a boyfriend, right? That's at at the very least uh, of what happens. At the greatest, you could even call it blasphemy. Now, contemporary Christian music drives churches into a very different direction than what traditional music often does. And I'm not saying... there, There are both sides. I think there are some churches who... Uh, unfortunately, have jumped into that contemporary Christian movement, that music movement, who probably still are preaching the truth. And there's a lot of churches who would have the traditional music who are not preaching the truth. So I'm not, I'm not saying that this is cut and dry across the board, but these are red flags, right? A red flag is something that says, hey, warning, this is something that, that very possibly is dangerous. Now, this is a series of questions, and I'm going to end with this. It was taken from a book called Why I Left the Contemporary Christian Music Movement by a guy named Dan Lucarini. And he poses these questions. I just got them written up here because all I'm going to do is just kind of read them to you and show you the difference here. Um, He poses questions and then he answers those questions. 
What is the primary purpose of the song service? Well, traditional music would say that it's to edify the brethren and prepare hearts for preaching. It's exactly why we sing. That's what we do. That's why we do the traditional music. Contemporary Christian music says it's to usher people into the presence of God. That's not why we sing. What tends to be emphasized? Well, with traditional music, the preaching tends to be emphasized. And again, not always, but that's the tendency. With contemporary Christian music, it's the music that tends to be emphasized. What's the primary motive in selecting music? Well, number for traditional, it's does God like it? For contemporary Christian music, is do people like it? Because I can, I can guarantee you this, that, that if, if you get a contemporary group up there who's bad because they don't sound good, they don't have good harmony, and, and they can't play the instruments and everything else, they're not going to be around long, right? But when Nitin gets up here and sings, we don't kick him out of the church. I'm kidding. But we, we, our focus is not, oh, that sounded good. We need to have that guy back up here, right? It's, hey, it doesn't matter what you sound like. If you're praising the Lord and, and your goal is to make a joyful noise to the Lord, you're not trying to make an album. You're not trying to make money off of it. You're not trying to please the people. You're trying to please God. And if somebody's edified by it because they, they know your heart, it doesn't matter what you sound like, right? Hey, you let me get up here and sing, so obviously that's the case, right? It's, it's the, the point is not do the people like it. It's does God like it? Is God pleased? Well, the secondary motive in selecting music, and that's switched. All right, do people like it? Because, yes, if, if it's a, you know, if, if I can't carry a tune in a bucket, well, you know, you can sing once every six months maybe, right? But that's secondary. Is God pleased is the, is the primary motive. Uh, the last question that he asked in that book is, what is the primary indicator of a successful church service? Traditional says, I was convicted and ministered to by the word of God, and that's truth-based. It's based on what the Word of God says. Was I convicted by what was preached? Versus contemporary Christian, often is, I really worshiped God today. And that's experience-based. And how many people walk out of, how many people walk out of a non-denominational church saying, wow, we really worshiped God today? But they were not convicted. They go back to their life doing everything exactly the way they were. It's just that they had that experience and the music lifted them higher and, and they, they just felt like they were on this, this otherworldly plane for a little while. And man, I really worshiped God today. No, you worship God daily in your life by the way that you live. You come to church to be convicted and ministered to by the word of God. And that's a huge difference. Now listen, th those who are in the contemporary Christian music movement for the most part, those who are in contemporary American churches are not the enemy. If they're preaching the true gospel, then they are are brothers in Christ, but they're wrong, and I would say dangerously wrong, and I want no part in that direction for our church. We should treat others who differ with us with grace and with humility and with charity, but let's stay away from those kind of things. Let's stay who we are and understand that we have good reasons for staying away from uh, that contemporary Christian music movement, and we have, a, we have a reason for staying the way that we are. And what happens is the, the, the moment you start to move away from what we are in an attempt to try to get more people in or in an attempt to try to keep people here that have come, you know, one of the, uh, one of the, one of the biggest questions that I have in my mind, and I'm done, this is not in my notes. This, is, this, is, this part is free. 
But uh, one of the biggest questions that I have in my mind, it, even, even when I'm sitting up on the stage in this uh, big auditorium full of people who, for the most part, probably are not saved, and I'm battling back and forth in my mind, should I preach the gospel very clearly, or should I just try to give them something that will maybe whet their appetite to help them go back and find the answers later on? Number one, God gave the opportunity, and I may not get that opportunity again, so I have to take it. But number two, my job is, to not, is not to make people happy. My job is to please Christ. And if people are not happy but Christ is pleased, then I'm fine with that. If I'm the only person in there that's happy with the way I preach the message, but Christ is pleased, then I'm fine with that. On the other hand, if everybody comes up and tells me how wonderful the service was and what a great flowery speech I gave, and I walk away knowing that Christ was not pleased because I didn't give the gospel, then what have I accomplished? Absolutely nothing. And that's the same philosophy that we have in our church. Do I want you to like the service? Absolutely. You know, uh, the, the, the people who were there, I, you know, I'm not trying to make them mad in that service, I, but I know what I have to do. And I know who I have to please. And the same is true here. I don't want people to get mad about the stuff that I teach and preach from the Word of God. You get mad about it, you leave, that's the end of working with you, right? But I also know that my responsibility is not to please you, it's to please God. And if God is pleased by what's said and what's done in this church, if I'm the last person here, then that's all that matters. I want to be able to stand before him and say, I preached and taught what you told me to preach and teach. And if he's the only one that's pleased, then that's, all, that's fine with me. But the whole reason I say all this about, about contemporary Christian music and contemporary Christian uh, Christianity is they're not the enemy, but they're, they're doing it wrong. And it's leading down a slippery slope that pulls them far away from actually being able to give a clear message of the gospel. Because if you're getting people in because of this stuff, you cannot preach hard against sin. You're going to lose them. And if your whole point is to try to get them in there, then losing them means you're failing in everything that you're doing. And that's the, that's the difference between traditional, I believe, in most places, and contemporary, I believe, in most places. I'm trying to please Christ. And that's my primary goal. And if you were to go ask anybody in these non-denominational churches, that's exactly what they would say. We're trying to please Christ. But their, their, their philosophy and their actions show otherwise. And at the end of the day, I want not just our philosophy and not just the words to be that we're trying to please Christ, but that the actions and what we do here are proving that we're trying to please Christ above everything else. That's why it's important that we stay in the way that we're going. That's why it's important that we keep preaching the truth that we're preaching. Because you get away from that to try to draw in a crowd, you lose Christianity. And we're raising not just us, but the next generation too. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week, maybe another week or two, and then we'll be done with it and we'll move on to a different topic that I believe is also important. But we'll start here. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be a part of this. I thank you that we have the truth from the Word of God. I pray that our motivations would be right. I pray that we don't do this just so we can look down at other people and say we're better than you are. We're not better than anybody else. We're just, we're just sinners that are saved by grace, trying to do the best that we can to please you. And I pray that you'd help us in our pursuit of that. I pray that you'd help us in our pursuit of holiness individually and as a church. We just want to be right with you. We just want you to be pleased by what we do. And so I pray that you'd help us to stand 
strong on the truth of the Word of God. Pray that you help us to stand strong in the standards that we believe you've ha- you have us to set here in this place. And God, I pray that, that uh, we'd be able to reach uh, a lost and dying world because of it. Thank you for the opportunities you give us in Jesus' name. Amen.